This is John. And this is Dan. And this is She's Not a Slut Yet. This is a podcast about three friends watching cult movies and drinking together. This week will be written my list pick Alien, which was released in 1979, that John is clearly very excited to talk about based off of the way he introduced himself in this episode. Dan, will you just start Yay. us off with some box office stats? <laughs> All right, so I'll start you guys off with some interesting box office stats for Alien from 1979. It had a budget of $11 million. It opened to $3 million, which is pretty impressive considering it was only opened in 91 theaters. It was only released domestically and had an overall gross of $78.9 million. As far as awards, it won 18 awards and was nominated for 22. 8.5 stars on IMDb. A whopping score on Rotten Tomatoes of 98% for the critics, and then for the audience, it's 94%. Alrighty, so this week I actually had Dan do the interesting movie facts because I was trying to get the puppy to exhaust himself. Didn't work. So I only know some of these, <laughs> so I'm going to fumble my way through. So the blue laser lights that were used in the alien ship's egg chamber were borrowed from the Who?, the band was testing out the lasers for their stage show on the sound stage next door. Shredded condoms were used to create tendons of the beast's ferocious jaws. Also, the slime used in the alien was KY jelly. So, you know, all sex stuff. It's great. It was Ron Cobb who came up with the idea that the alien should bleed acid. This came about when Dan O'Bannon needed a good reason for why the crew members don't just shoot the thing and kill it, but still not make an indestructible monster that can't be killed. According to Yafet Toto, Sir Ridley Scott told him to annoy Sigourney Weaver off camera so that there would be genuine tension between their characters. He was the guy who played Ash, the android. The face hugger was originally planned to be painted green. I believe the director saw the original coloring, though, the flesh coloring of them, and was like, no, don't paint it. Keep it the way it is, because he thought it was creepier. Anyway. To get Jones the cat to react fearfully to the descending alien, a German shepherd was placed in front of him with a screen between the two so the cat wouldn't see it at first. And once the screen was removed, the cat actually reacted and hissed. For the chestburster scene, Sir John Hurt stuck his head, shoulders, and arms through a hole in the mess table, linking up with a mechanical torso that was packed with compressed air to create the forceful exit of the alien and lots of animal guts. The rest of the cast were not told through real blood and guts were being used so as to provoke genuine reactions of shock and disgust, which actually worked. One of them was shocked enough that they actually had to go home and lock themselves in their house for several hours without talking to anyone. <laughs> the dead face hunter that Ash autopsies was made using fresh shellfish, four oysters, and a sheet kidney to recreate the internal organs. Filming had to be done quickly because the organic material would go bad very fast under the studio lights. Ridley Scott originally wanted to use an animatronic to portray the alien. Harrison Ford turned down the role of Captain Dallas. Can you imagine Harrison Ford as Dallas? Like the most like non-interesting character in this movie. I'm sorry. I just I didn't think he was that interesting. <laughs> it was also hard for me not to just put in Star Wars facts about this movie. So. Yeah, uh, Dan put several Star Wars facts into oh this fucking God. stuff, but I was like, fuck kidding me? Of course, that's what you did. Anyway, <laughs> um... Sir Ridley Scott did all the handheld camera work himself. It was Sigourney Weaver's idea to sing You Are My Lucky Star while preparing to get rid of the xenomorph. Sir Ridley Scott mentions how much flack he got from the production studio because of how expensive the rights to the song were. The role of Ripley came down to Sigourney Weaver and Meryl Streep. Can you imagine? Uh, Weaver was offered the job because Streep was mourning the death of her partner, John Cazale, at the time of casting. 
So Ridley Scott cites three movies as the shaping influences on on this movie: Star Wars Episode Four, New Hope, uh, two thousand one. I mean, obviously, <laughs> two thousand one: Space Odyssey, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So. The first day that she shot a scene involving Jones, the cat, Sigourney Weaver's skin started reacting badly. The young actress immediately thought that she might be allergic to cats and that it would be easier to recast her instead of trying to find four more identical cats. Weaver was re reacting to the glycerin spray uh, sprayed on her skin to make her look hot and sweaty instead, actually. Uh, in order to heighten the sense of claustrophobia for the actors and actresses, director Ridley Scott had the walls of the sets pushed slightly closer to each other every day. I, uh, that's, that's, that's terrible. It's really fuck, isn't it? I was, when I read that, I was like, emotional and mental abuse. <laughs> While he was working on the visual effects for this movie, Brian Johnson was simultaneously working in the same capacity in Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, which released in 1980. All right, John, take it away with okay. the synopsis. Okay. The movie begins with a moving shot of space until it finally lands on the Nostromo spaceship. The scene then shifts to inside the ship as the crew on it sleeps. While the crew is sleeping, an SOS message comes from in another ship, which slowly wakes the crew from their cryopods. As the crew wakes from their cryosleep, they seem unaware that they have been awoken too early in their journey and they begin to look for Earth so they can dock their ship. Concerned that they're not yet in their own galaxy, but instead halfway there, the crew messages for help but does not get a reply. Realizing that they were woken too early, the crew investigates and finds the ship woke them due to a distress call, and per their employment contracts, they are required to investigate the SOS. The, scene, the crew then decides to take an ex exploratory vessel and descend on the planet below to investigate the message constantly being sent to them. Once they land, the crew tries to reach out to those who have sent the SOS, but get nothing in response except the same message that woke them from cryosleep. Three of the crew members then decide to investigate where the message is coming from as the other crew members monitor their progress and fix where the sh ship was damaged. The scene then switches to show the three crew members who left to investigate the message have found a ship that had been abandoned. As the crew members investigate the ship, they find a fossilized alien that appeared to have died from something exploding out of it. As the three crew members wonder what happened to the rest of the alien's crew, they find a chamber and investigate it. The scene then switches back to Ripley and Ash as they try to decipher the message that woke them. Ripley figures out that the message was a warning and wants to go after those that left, but Ash tells her not to. They'll get back when they get back. The scene then switches back to the three crew members of the abandoned ship as Kane is being let down into a chamber of giant eggs. As Kane investigates the eggs, one of the eggs opens and a creature attaches itself to his helmet. The scene then shifts to show Lambert and Dallas as they carry an unconscious Kane back to the ship. As they enter the bay, Lambert and Dallas beg Ripley to let them, in, let them in as Kane's life is on the line, but Ripley refuses, stating the whole ship could be in danger if she bypasses emergency protocol. Man, the entire movie would have ended there if she, they listened yep. to her. Ash does not agree with this, and Mandalay opens the loading bay doors, letting them in to remove the alien creature attached to Kane's face. As Dallas and Ash try to remove the creature from Kane, they find it's impossible to do it as its blood is made from acid, and decides it's best to leave the creature on Kane for now. As the night goes on, Ash notices the creature has detached itself from Kane and alerts Ripley and Dallas. The trio then search for the medic bay for the creature and find it dead. Much to Ripley's disappointment, Dallas allows Ash to do an autopsy on the creature. As Ripley and Dallas leave Ash, 
Ripley expresses her distrust of Ash. Dallas, of course, ignores her, like he always does in this movie, and instead orders that they leave the planet to reattach to the main ship so they can go home to Earth. As the crew arrives at the main ship they re and realize they have another ten months before they are able to get home. While commiserating the wait, Ash calls everyone to check on Kane as he has woken up but does not seem to remember much about what happened. As the crew celebrate Kane's recovery over dinner, Kane begins to get sick and an alien creature bursts from his chest and runs off. Before searching for the creature, the crew has a funeral for Kane before, leaving, before yeeting him into space. The crew then splits up into th two teams of three to look for the alien. As Ripley, Brett, and Parker search for the alien, they find Jones the cat. Surprised by the cat, Brett accidentally lets him go and is told to go find him as he may come up on the scanner again. Just as Brett finds Jones the cat, a now fully grown alien appears behind him, kills him, and takes, him takes his body into the air shaft with it. After witnessing Brett's death, Parker and Ripley tell the crew what they saw and ask Ash if there's anything that could slow the creature down. Ash tells him changing the environment may do so, and the crew decide to make the ship hotter since the alien is using the air shafts. Dallas then climbs into the shafts to raise the temperature with the team's help to navigate the shafts. As Dallas gets to the third level of the shafts, the creature descends upon him and takes him away without a single trace. The rest of the crew then decide the next plan of action. Ripley insists that they continue on with Dallas's original plan as the shuttle will not take four people for the long trip they have home. After arguing with her shipmates, Ripley investigates the reason why they cannot kill the alien and find that the mother has ordered Ash to collect the alien specimen and keep it safe as the rest of the crew is inexpendable. As Ripley finds this out, Ash appears and Ripley confronts him for betraying the crew and find out that he isn't actually an android. As Ash tries to kill Ripley for discovering his secret, Parker and Lambert pull him off and end up beheading him. To find out more specifics on the creature on the ship, the crew connects Ash's head to his body to find out the main mission they were on was to collect this creature and that the creature is unkillable. Unhappy with this discovery, Parker then burns Ash before setting off... It was not to his body, it was to the... It was to the ship's computer system. They reconnected him. What? Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, unhappy with his discovery, Parker then burns Ash before setting off to try and make the shuttle habitable for the next few months after they blow up the main ship. As Parker and Lambert get the supplies needed for the trip to Earth, Ripley gets the shuttle ready for departure and finds Jones. Lambert and Parker are then attacked by the alien and killed. Hearing their calls for distress, Ripley runs to them and finds Parker's body. Devastated from her discovery, Ripley runs to detonate the ship and so the creature will be destroyed and runs back to the shuttle with Jones the cat. As she, are on, as she is on their way to the shuttle, she runs into the alien and leaves Jones behind to escape and tries to undo the detonation of the ship as she could not get off the ship fast enough. Once Ripley realizes she cannot turn off the self-destruct, Ripley slowly makes her way back to the shuttle, picking up a somehow still alive Jones along the way. At the very last minute, Ripley is able to get the shuttle away from the main ship before it blows. Thinking she is safe, Ripley puts Jones the cat in cryo and gets herself ready for cryo as well when she realizes the creature has snuck itself up aboard the shuttle. Ripley is able to get herself hidden quickly as the stunned creature regroups. Ripley suits up and straps into the capstan chair, readying herself to open the bay doors to launch the creature into space. Just as the creature goes to attack, um, Ripley attacks Ripley. She opens the doors and shoots the creature with a harpoon. Somehow, the creature then manages to crawl under the thrusters outside of the ship, even though it's in space. Realizing this, Ripley turns on the thrusters and kills the alien. The scene then switches to show Ripley giving a log what happened on the Nostromo and then going into cryosleep. 
The movie ends with Ripley sleeping as she travels towards Earth. Bada bing, bada boom. All right, look at that. Nice and neat. Pretty great. So, before we start the review of this, uh, before we start the review of this movie, um, overall, I just want to say, guys, this movie was unique. Um, I've never watched any of the alien stuff. I've never been interested in it. Why? Because it's a horror movie. But after watching this movie, I actually understand what the hype is about and why people love this series of movies so much. It's a it's a phenomenal type of movie, right? It's it's a very very well made movie, and I can see a lot of the production value as the movie goes along because it's believe it or not. Um, I know Dan knows this, but it's actually really difficult to make a sci-fi movie seem realistic, and yet they still manage to do it in this movie, so that props to them on that one. I think this movie was way ahead of its time, like, with cinematography, special effects. It still just... holds up. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be rude here, Dan. I don't think Star Wars holds up. Oh, it's not good, bitch. Every time you say something bad about Star Wars, it's not being rude to me. You're being rude oh my to everything this, else. This, this, <laughs> This movie held up to the point where the, the special effects in this movie, they went inside of the constraints of what they had to make it as realistic as possible. Instead of trying to put, you know, early day explosions, which looked like someone just rendered something on PowerPoint and then plugged it in, um, they went above and beyond and made it look very, very clean throughout the entire movie. Of course, there's going to be parts that were unnatural like um when the alien was outside of space but that's because it's very hard to make a medium exist if there's no medium in the first place and back then it's impossible nowadays you just fill it in with cgi right right? but to see the level of what they did to see how well they did it in the 70s makes me feel even worse about all the other movies i've watched and and the bad special effects i say one more special or uh Interesting fact that didn't make the cut. Peter Mayhew, who played, you, played Chewbacca, uh, tried out for the Alien Jesus part, Christ, man. That's neither here nor Jesus there. Christ. I mean, that is, that's an interesting fact for you. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my God. I didn't, even know, I didn't even know Chewbacca had an actor. <laughs> like, can I just oh say God. that? See, now yeah, I'm now offended. That's offending. Like- <laughs> well, that's like C-3PO has an actor, right? Yeah. And I always felt bad for him. Because imagine getting famous from a role where nobody knows who you are. I think there everybody that no, I, never mind. Just just stop. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Um. So to revisit what I was saying, this movie was decades ahead of its time when it came to uh, cinematography, um, the special effects, and just the general way they filmed this movie. It felt actually very realistic, and for a 1970s movie, that is. That is actually kind I, of stunning. The fact that it even holds up today, almost I 50 years later. I honestly would like to say that this movie did an amazing job with just like the set and how they did the camera angles and everything like that. Because literally, by not showing the creature in its full form for pretty much the entire movie, except for like the last five seconds when it gets blasted away, uh, is almost perfect because you really get a sense of fear from not really knowing what you're looking at. You know what I mean? Like not knowing 
what exactly it looks like, mm -hmm. just knowing there's something that's much bigger than you that is not something that you know of, like it's not a creature you've ever encountered or I've ever even heard of before is hunting you down in the ship. You know what I mean? And the talent of the director to make the to make the decision to not show the full creature not only saved him a lot of money, but it also made it extremely realistic too. So you have those two and the fact that it adds a horror aspect when he was gearing towards a horror movie. I'm not surprised that it that this movie's yeah. holding up still. Dan, what do you think? I think you guys are 100% right. The one thing I will mention is that there's two scenes in particular that do date it for me, though, that like just seem right out of the 70s. The, the scene where they first cut open the alien and it drops acid, when they're all like scrambling around, let's go down a level, let's go down a level. Like that, that scene was definitely, seemed like a little like almost uh, campy to me. No, it made sense, though. Because... Um... It makes sense, but like just just the way it was like the way the actors kind of interacted and it it's it made it seem like it was a movie from the seventies or eighties to me. I would say yes on that a little I bit, wouldn't. but even though that's the case, it's still really really well done to the point yeah, where I no, didn't they, even think that I didn't even notice that as much as you said that it is. Yeah, if like, you're looking it, for it, I'm yeah, you're about, right. Like, yeah, not not about like the effects of the acid actually like dripping through the ship. But the fact that they're all just kind of scrambling around and like, oh, let's go to the next one. Why wouldn't you do that when you're in a ship in space Something about and that there's just acid like... leaking through the floor? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> because then one, what happens when it finally hits the bottom? Like it makes sense they're trying to follow it to make sure that it doesn't actually fuck up. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, knowing with my knowledge of acids, there's very little acid in creation that is able to do that. But... I guess, you know, given that it's an alien, we can forgive that. Yeah. But, and it's you know, in space. Side, like, uh, I'll, yeah, it, no, I'll it's forgive cool. it. It's, it's not even necessarily that fact. It's just the actor is, like, scrambling around to, like, go to the next floor underneath or everything. It just, it's like they're on a giant boat and they're just going deck below looking up, you know? It, yeah, it you're just, right. It just made me chuckle like a 70s movie, if that, if that makes sense. Let me guess. Before you say the next scene, I'm going to throw one. Okay. And that is the Ash's head melting in the fire. Uh, that because that one definitely kicked it for like, oh yeah, this is seventy stuff. Honestly, they didn't even have to show that, but they did. Yeah, that, I mean that that's a that's definitely up there. I, honestly, I would, I just found that scene so disgusting and like weird that I was like, completely. It didn't matter what decade. I I wasn't thinking about that. Um, yeah, that but the other scene that was queasy. It was just weird. <laughs> the other scene that made me laugh, and it's it's only because of of, of Ronan right now. Is when the when like the baby xenomorph just pops out of the body when it just scrambles away. My first yeah, thought is, was like that's, that's like my did. little puppy. Dude, I did not want to have I, I don't wanna <laughs> I don't think I wanna meet Ronan he's, anymore. He's he's an asshole. I'm gonna be honest with you. He's a he's, he's an adorable level little fuck face, but my god, does he get into shit constantly? And when he doesn't want to get caught, that's exactly how he runs away. He's just like, I'm gonna scramble away and you can't catch me. He's getting big enough now, though, that, like, it's hard to, like, for him to, like, squeeze through things so he gets trapped in the corner sometimes, but. Yeah. No, so that, th those are the only two scenes, I'll say, that took me out of the movie and kind of, like, made me realize, like, okay, this, this might not, uh, not even it didn't hold up, but just, like, 
it dates just a tiny so, bit, I'd say. I have one thing about this movie that triggers me a little bit. Okay. And that is, can you imagine being on, I guess it was a merchant ship, right? They were holding cargo. Is that correct, Nadine? Because I don't remember that part exactly. They're supposed to be on, like, a merchant mining ship. So, like... Yeah, because they had mercenaries on. No, they didn't have mercenaries. They were being hired for that specific no, trip. No, they did not have mercenaries. It was all a crew. No? That's... It, they're all a crew, okay, that are supposed to be... Ronan's having a nightmare. Don't keep up with us. It's okay. It, they're all supposed to be crew members for, like, a mining ship, and then each one, like, a commercial mining ship. So they're supposed to come back for the company with all their load of supplies and drop it off at Earth. So they they go to another planet, they get the supplies, they come back kind of thing that's what their job is he's basically supposed to be with like the hawaiian shirt guy like whenever anything fucks up they're i think they're supposed to be maintenance or something like that like they are trying to fix it ash is supposed to be the science guy dallas and kane and ripley are supposed to be the ones in charge and lambert is the one who's supposed to be logistics from my understanding of when i was watching it so that's like pretty much all their jobs okay because that it is a little bit. It is a little bit hard to pick up, and that's also because the audio didn't render yeah. very well. I had to crank it all the yeah, way. Yeah, I was having a hard time hearing it too. The reason why I brought that up, thing is about this, right? And it triggers me a little bit. So the scene of what they did, the segment of the movie, shows nothing before, nothing after. We don't know what Earth is like. We don't know what they did. We don't know what their job is really. It's just. It's just a little horror thing on a spaceship. But what triggers me a little bit is how the ship can override the person who controls the ship, otherwise known as the captain, and say, this is what you guys need to do. You have to wake up. Go to that SOS. Do this thing. You know? And the reason why that triggered me just a little bit. Where's the human's rights, man? Where is this? The way that I understood it is that the company, especially when you watch the sequels to it, was working within their rights, but something like this happened because it was in a space. They hadn't had laws for space workers yet or something like that. And then once this Yeah, that's and then once lost. this happened, that changed the concept of those like laws and the workers' rights and things like that. But this tragedy had to happen, just like it always does in history. A tragedy has to happen, or multiple tragedies have to happen in order for something to be put in place to protect the people. Okay, so if this is the first of its kind, I guess that's forgivable. But that just triggered me a little bit. Also, another thing that triggered me is, uh, is I was I watched this movie all the way through. Nothing really stuck out to me in, in mannerisms of like, okay, wow, I guess this is the 70s. Dan said that uh, you know, there are multiple scenes. But I have to tell you, when Ripley at the end started taking her clothes off, and I was looking at the screen, I'm like, bro, not this shit again. Bro, I see a pair of boobs every time I watch movies <laughs> with you guys. Every single I, movie. I, it's like, I'm not, I'm not wrong. I mean, a, yeah, I appreciate it, but why? Thing. If you don't like horror movies, expect at least once. At least once you're going to see a pair of tatas. I'm just letting you know that's a horror movie thing. It's dumb. Why do you guys give like do the horror movie directors are like, all right, we've we've ruined these uh kids enough. Let's give them some uh, some boobs so they can grow like up happy. More like in horror movies, oftentimes the people who have sex or get naked or promiscuous are the ones that die first. It's like they're saying sex is bad and it's bad to be promiscuous, and this is what happens when you do it. 
Okay. Okay. Well, what about the other trope where the uh, the non-white person uh, always dies first? That's just racism. I don't really know what to tell you. That's actually. This is probably one of the first. It's one of the first movie, first horror movies I've watched where the dude didn't die first. Know, right? It was someone else. So yeah, res- respect on that. But but that's like not to not to quote on that, but like. The nipples that could cut glass, the super low cut underwear. I was just looking at this. I'm like, dude, bro, there's no need to put this in the movie. I mean, no matter what, I can't change it, so it's not going to affect my personal rating on it. But I'm just looking. I'm like, all right, all right, man. You just had to, didn't you? Director with a shitty grin on his face is like, you know what, Ripley? You've done a fine time working on this character. I need to see your tatas. And she's like, what? Do it. What it is. It is what it is. Let me, I'm going to tell you, though. Sigourney Weaver looks fucking hot in that scene. Uh, I'm, not going to un, I'm not going to comment at all on that. And I'm not going to disagree, either. But the sole sake of why it was done is what concerns me more than what I saw. Yeah, I'm sure if you ask the director, it's like, oh, it's, it's, she's in this vulnerable moment and just kind of, like, represents that on screen, but... Bro, when I'm vulnerable, I don't strip. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I put on more clothes. Well, no, it's supposed to be a visual representation is what Stan's saying. What's the most vulnerable position for you to be in when you're not clothed? Clothing is like a form of protection for you. And for people, originally speaking, when we first, when humans first started wearing clothes, it was to protect ourselves against the elements. So a visual representation of vulnerability is you not having clothes on or wearing less clothes. So it's probably, he's right that is probably the reason why it is also the other reason why is probably because sigourney weaver at the time was considered like a sex symbol people really exactly. thought she was hot i think she's i think pretty. she's very it's like, like if you ask the producers of the movie and like the studio they're probably like oh we get sigourney weaver naked in space let's do this Fantastic. right but it, it's it's probably that's, that's like, probably what they discussed it's probably a mixture between both, to be honest with you. Yeah. But like, yeah, for sure, they had an actress that was considered a sex symbol at the time who was who was very beautiful. I mean, and horror movies always have at least some sort of nudity. Yeah, that began. I'm I'm drinking an entire bottle of champagne. I think I I have the, a half left of my second bottle. I can so. tell. I can tell. <laughs> um, I'm a little tired. So- I'm really tired. So overall, I can say, like, this movie had its moments here and there that were really annoying, right? For me, personally, um, it it had a couple of scenes in it that were just like, okay, that wasn't needed to be added. And there was also clear signs that it's aged, certain parts of the movie. But overall, if you just, if I'm nitpicking, I can say that this movie falls short exponentially when it comes to the movies that I like. But I'm not nitpicking here because I also realize this movie was made, well close to 50 years ago i think it's forgivable a little bit on that aspect but the fact that it's half a century old yeah it's half a century old and yet it still has the same production value to it is what's stunning to me because there's there's a lot of movies there's a lot of movies that were made in the 70s like star wars that just don't hold up anymore but like for a movie like this that seemed to be like under like, when it came out, it probably wasn't the biggest thing in the world. It was really cool at the time, which is probably why it took off. But it was just a starter project, and yet it holds up 50 fucking years later. I, that's what I'm 
most amazed about. Like, even the plot itself I, is not as amazing as how they produced it. The production value of this thing is A1 sauce that goes on a rare steak. I like it. I would have to agree. Like, Star Wars, the plot line of Star Wars and Star Wars itself obviously holds up. But the special effects, even though they were, like, prime of the time, and you can totally tell that they were, and they probably set this movie up to have the special effects that they had, because I'm pretty sure it came out before. Yeah, the, the first one definitely came out before this. I would say that the way they did this one, it just worked so well that it does kind of feel like early 2000 special effects. Do you know what I mean? It does, like 2005 to 2010 and some low-budget 2014, 2015 movies. It really is good. I wouldn't Now, the sound quality hard, clearly is 50 there, years there, old. There, there's a reason that, like, they've gone back and like redone the special effects on star Wars like several times. Yeah. Because it's shite. No offense. I mean, it's just, it, there were things that George Lucas wanted to do. No, never mind. We're not talking about star Wars, but, uh, okay. But yeah, this movie stands up untouched. Alrighty guys. I think we should talk about some of the plot holes in the movie. And then we should go over to the fan theories. I have four that I found online. Or, like, not maybe it's like so much as plot holes, but things that we thought were ridiculous in the movie that, like, totally could have stopped the movie right there. John said it earlier, like, mm. if they just listened to Ripley and she was following protocol and Ash wasn't being overridden by Mother, like, the ship, this whole movie would have ended. It would have been, like, one death, maybe three at the most, if they didn't let Dallas into the ship, if they had quarantined the way they were supposed to. There's another one that really kicks off for me, and that is when Ripley is uh, goes to set the detonation and then thinks that she can't make it, so she tries to turn off the detonation again, but then has time to still make it to the escape pod she originally was gunning for. That kick, that hit me like a brick. I was like, okay. I, I get it, the, the alien thing. was supposed to be in the way or whatever, but that was really stupid to me. I'm like, okay, seriously? I thought then what was the point of the self-detonation? I think it was supposed to be like, oh, the aliens, that's how the aliens snuck on the ship because she ran away and then came back or whatever. But like the whole point of it was to get rid of the alien and detonate the alien. Like she had distracted him with the cat. She could have gone by him with that, with the cat because she had already left it to die yeah. the first time. So I don't really. Yeah, like another thing is like, another thing is like, why is this cat such a big fucking thing in this movie? Oh, oh, just. Just wait. Fan theory. But I know, I know, I know. I know that <laughs> we're not going into that yet. But that's one of the, another thing that really irked me as well. Why the fuck is there a cat? Don't go into the fan theory. Why the fuck is there a cat oh, okay. on a mining commercial ship? I just want to know. Why do they have a cat on a mining commercial ship? That you imagine they have a rat sense. problem on the ship? Like, if they, pro- <laughs> they have a rat problem on the ship. <laughs> I yeah, didn't have too much of an issue with that. It's like if if you have a group of, group of people that are going to be spend years in space, like they need some like emotional. They have each other. Grounded. They That's, have that, each, um, each other. Alcohol. There and was sex. A- I don't want to hear it. <laughs> there's another I don't know. piece. No, there's he, another piece to this. Cats are cool. Uh, all right all right i don't want to go into this guys i know your obsession with dogs and cats but um there's another uh there's another thing that really kind of got me in the scene where they are out in uh out on the planet for the first time right right it's hard to tell but it looked like they're wearing biker gloves so their fingers were exposed now i understand the idea 
because when they were going over all of the uh, well, the atmospheric components of nitrogen and hydrogen being a very prominent thing, and they're talking about how there's a low oxygen content. I don't know about you, but what are the chances of you being able to find a planet, one, that's hospitable enough for you to have bare skin out in snowy-ass weather, one, but two, that is so good enough that you can step on the planet and not be worried about gravity. Um, the, the, now, I, I, I get it. I get it. The production value of the movie, you know, doesn't really extend to that type of stuff because it can't exactly no, create their own No, I think it's because of the copy planet. that you got. But, like... They had regular, like, spacesuit gloves on. Like, I think it was just you. Like, they... I saw fingers. No, it was. I saw fingers. I, I did. I had to watch it I mean, three I, times. I, okay, it's it's regular spacesuit gloves. I promise you, there's no fingers. There's no I fingers. fingers. You're on crack. It's the type. Of, it's because you downloaded it illegally. Watch okay, the fucking fine. Whatever. Version. I guess. I guess someone decided to Photoshop fingers on there. Whatever. Point is, though, is why were they so insistent to just go out there? You know they were required just, to. Oh, there's so many things it's, in this movie that's because it's, it's the mission it. from the mother. I'm not like, gonna go out there. <laughs> yeah, fuck. They explain at the beginning of the movie if they don't do that, they're not gonna get the money when they return to Earth. Right, and they've already spent what, yeah. how much time? <laughs> I guess well, over, not get money. well, no. Think of it this way, dude. Yeah. Think of it this way: when they were in space and they they had that message and they were woken early, they had ten months to get back to Earth, and that was halfway back to Earth. Which means if you times that by two, that's 20 months to get there and 20 months to get back. So 40 months of their life, which was which is several years, right? More than three, uh, like what, three and a quarter that they spent doing this job. So they're going to spend three and a quarter years of their life doing the job that they're supposed to do, come back to Earth and not make any money. It doesn't make sense. That loss of profit for them would have been so much that they wouldn't have been able to survive if they decided to live on Earth for like a couple months before they went to the next job. Do you know what I mean? Like they needed that money. That was like a, a necessity. Yeah. It was a need. They don't give you like much of the background, but like the reason they all probably took this job is because they're they're probably like dependent on it to kind of continue on whatever life they're living on Earth. Okay, there is one one last thing I'm going to throw in there. Just. Things that don't really make sense to me. Do you guys see a mango on this table? I posted the picture in there. I know the rest of the people that are watching and listening to this can't really see that. But I have a picture of them on the food table. Yeah, it's a mango. I there's, swear, I see a freaking mango on the table. There's two mangoes. There's also Cheerios. Yeah, yeah. Bro, I need the technology that allows me to store Cheerios for two years. Three. I mean, maybe it's related to the same, similar... Three years! They even have guacamole and macaroni and cheese! Bro, where's the space food? This looks like Thanksgiving! Well, it's advanced technology. I don't know what to tell you, John. Advanced technology, my ass! They're, right. they're also frozen for, like, 90% of the trip, too. So, like, what, what do you expect? Yeah, but at least in Futurama, they still had space food. All right. Anyways, I'm I'm getting off track, but um, there there's a lot of things in this movie that definitely shows the limit. I wouldn't say limited knowledge, but the ex the fact that they didn't really have the technology to explore that 
Like, this is just, back then, would make sense. Like, nobody's really going to question it. But, like, in 2022, you watch a movie, and Captain, and, uh, what is it, uh, Tony Stark's eating Cheerios two years afterwards. Like, you get, you get, you get a little tilted on it. But, uh, that's just, it's small, it's a small detail that, like, you can't perfect back then, but nowadays just kind of irks you a little bit. Also, their outfits look like shit. All right, Nadine. All right, you guys ready to get into some fan theories? Yes. Okay, so everyone's favorite character, Jones the Cat, has a fan theory. You guys ready for it? There is um, an article on it, but I'm just doing the main statement, which is I saw it in several different articles, which is that Jones the Cat is secretly an android. This theory posits that there's no reason to think Ash is the only one who isn't human, and as a result, isn't immediately turned into a bloody mess by the monster. Jones the cat should have triggered the alien's attack mode like the movie's human characters do, unless, of course, the cat is not a living animal. My question is, it's like, the cat does spark interest in the alien, but the alien doesn't kill him, and I'm wondering if it's because the cat's too small to be a host. Does that make sense? Or food? makes a lot of sense i when i was uh kind of keeping an eye out like of this movie when it originally happened the alien got basically with the face hugger to spawn another alien maybe it's not as much for food as it is to attack the same things that it came from also have you ever seen a, a cat just casually walk up and try to do things to an unknown creature no, if it decides it can't do anything, it runs away. I don't know if you've ever tried to catch a cat before that's running from you. Good yes, fucking luck. In the vet office. My, so, my, my dog Axel is terrified of cats. I know you work in a vet office, but you're also in a closed room. You don't, you don't go outside and you're like, here, cat, let's perform your veterinarian tasks, you know? Um, I, will, I will say, though, that maybe it's... The, that, maybe it, the creature is only focusing on the humans because they're a priority target. Maybe it's because the cat can run away and actually hide into places that makes it harder to find. Or, biggest one, maybe the alien just didn't give a fuck about cats, alright? Maybe it just looked like fur and it was like, ew, never mind, I don't want to eat that shit, I'll get a hairball. I don't think the alien's thinking that far ahead, my dude. Maybe. I have a feeling it's more of like a preternatural thing of like, the face hugger yeah, is is what spawns the creature but you also got to remember like the creature itself can i'm pretty sure actually impregnate the humans too if from the sequels it's been a while since i watched all the movies uh and so yes it can i had the pleasure of the host body from these creatures a cat would be way too small right and then on top of that a, a cat would literally be like an appetizer but like a potato or like a pierogi for the appetizer for this thing because it's huge. Are you really comparing the cat, Jones yeah, the cat, to a pierogi? No, it's it's like it, it's I like, get it. If you have a nice fucking piece of steak in front of you, do you really want the green beans next right. to it first? No, you want to take a bite of that fancy ass, nicely marinated steak. You know that bloody steak. You don't want the fucking raw ass green beans that are a little bit undercooked right next to it. You know. Yeah, it's like a, a lion isn't going to look at a bumblebee as, like, food. Okay. I, I guess. A lion isn't going to try and go fishing when there's right. plenty of antelope right next to it. Yeah. 
don't know if that's the best example, but it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just not a a viable source of like what it needs to do to procreate or to, to feed. So it's not going to work with the cat. I get that fan theory, but at the same time, that fan theory is very, very paper thin because even if it was an Android, did it really affect the story anyways? Like it's such a mild change to the story. It doesn't, it literally doesn't change the story. Honestly, yeah. it's to the no, point it, where it doesn't even matter. It's not it, even a fan theory. It's just it's just like a funny little addition, it feels like. It doesn't... Um, I, I think my point, though, is... It, it is funny. But I think that even, like, feeds into, like, my theory that why the cat's there is just for, like, giving the, the crew, like, a sense of humanity and, like, well-being. If that was a plant by, like, Mother to, like, have a more homey atmosphere, that makes sense. I don't know. That's a stretch. I, I still don't. But, but I think it's 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 a great it's a great interesting theory, and it's fun when a fan can come up with a theory that doesn't actually affect the movie at all. It, it's just a it's a slight difference to the movie that makes it more interesting, and it's people inserting something into the movie that makes it funny or you know whatever. But I don't think it would change the movie per se. So yeah, it's a cool fan theory, but at that best, it's just a theory. Yep. If someone wants to have that as headcanon, I think that's perfectly fine. All right. Exactly. Or, you know, when people talk about having black or white lightsabers. Cool and all, but yeah, yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Anyway. So, this That's one I thought cool was stuff. interesting. There's a lot of holes in this theory, too. But I thought it was interesting. So, it says, how sci-fi horror alien is... And this is an article title, and I'm reading bits of the article, by the way. It's from the Haughty Culturist. Uh, how sci-fi horror alien is really about the android. As with other horror slasher horror slash Asher movies. Alien is about a murderer bumping off the film's cast one by one. Nightmare on Elm Street was, has Freddy Krueger. Halloween has Michael Myers. Alien has the Xenomorph. However, the alien isn't the serial killer. That term isn't appropriate for an organism that can't escape its biological need to feed or survive. If a lion escapes from the zoo and ate two pensioners and a vicar, the lion wouldn't be a serial killer either. He would just be really hungry. Um, Later, the surviving crew members discover that Ash, who has been passing as human until this point, is an android. Not only that, but he violates Asimov's first law of robotics, don't cause or allow harm to humans. Um, As ordered by the Nostromos Nostromos commercial directors, Ash reroutes the ship with the sole intention of catching the xenomorph. His instructions are to treat the crew as expendable, and he carries that out to the letter. We're told the Xenomorph's value lies in the potential as a military weapon, but in fact, Ash uses the weapon immediately. He directs the crew into the alien's path as a means of keeping it unharmed, helping it breed, or feeding it as required. Ash is the alien's human face alter ego, is a de facto serial killer. So I don't agree with this, but I do think it's an interesting theory. I don't agree. I see where they're going with it. I see and I understand why they would consider it be like, oh, well, it's comparing it to a lion. The thing is, though, is that, is that it is... I wouldn't consider it to be a lion. It would be a, something that is above humans, right? That's the entire premise of the movie, is that it's 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 at a state that is above humans. It is a lot more difficult to uh, to injure, to kill, blah, blah, blah. I don't think... That there's you need to go all philosophical with this. In reality, Ash was just following the uh, the mother's instructions, and the mother was following the instructions from the company to research this exactly. uh, creature and see if it would be beneficial. Right now, the creature being unleashed is something entirely different. 
Um, it is not a lion that's escaped from the zoo. It is the the end-all, be-all, right? It is not something as simply as a lion. Yes, there's biological need to it, but how would you assume what it is when all it did was really just go around killing stuff? It didn't well, exactly tell you no. that's the case, right? So I see this theory, but it feels more like... Well, hold on. I see the theory. I understand where it's trying to gear it towards. But in reality, you can't compare this movie to other serial killer movies. Because in a serial killer movie, there's literally a motive. A just, like, something that justifies what it's do- what that uh, killer is doing. Generally speaking, it's also a signature of, that, of um, the killer or whatever. But in this movie, they kind of stepped into their own fate and did something they shouldn't have. Which ended up killing them in the process. So I don't well, really think the that's the case for this movie. I actually like this theory. The reason I like this theory is because it kind of like gives it the whole movie more of a purpose. So if, if Ash and Mother were, were trying to bring the Xenomorphs back to Earth to use as military weapons, even though they were harming the, the, the crew on that, on that ship, they would, for whatever reason, determine that it was more important for the Xenomorphs to get to Earth to use for whatever purposes well, that would benefit humanity as a whole rather than... It wasn't them that were deciding that, though. That it was were the company. Kind of expendable. The company is the one that's in control, and that's the reason why I don't think he's the serial killer. Because technically it's speaking, in the series, you do have someone, uh, an android later on in the series, that does have like feel guilt and things like that. And this one, he doesn't really show it nearly as much, but you do have one scene where he says he does envy the creature because it doesn't have guilt or morals or things like that. Uh simply because it goes based off of a primordial need. It's not a creature that's, you know, like John said, oh, well, well, John, you said like, it, you oh, it's something that's it. like, you don't know if it's intelligent or not. It's clearly intelligent for an animal, for a creature, but there is one sole purpose to it. There is, that is something that goes with most animals in nature, reproduction, survival, eating. That's basically what it goes off of. It's killing people because it's fucking hungry. It's grown at a rate that is way faster than anything else that we've ever seen. Obviously, it's going to need to somehow supply that growth and restore its energy that it has lost from growing that quickly. What do you do when you do that? You eat. It has sources of food on the fucking ship. So it ate the people. That's what it was doing. You know, it was surviving. It wasn't trying to kill them off. And I don't think Mother necessarily or even ash for serial killers or like ai that's gone wrong necessarily speaking i think the mother was following what the company had wanted them to do because the company didn't see them as people they saw them as things that they could use to get what their their end goal was was just to make money off of this creature by selling it off as a military product and ash was following what mother wanted even though it pro- he probably had some guilt to it because he did make that speech in there. Hey, you know, I, I envy it because it had it had, doesn't feel morals or guilt or anything like that. But he did it anyway because that's what he's supposed to do as an android. He is given these instructions that he has to follow whether he feels a different way. So no, he's not a serial killer. Yeah. He's following what he's required to do based off his programming. Okay, that that makes more sense. I um, guess I don't buy the whole ser- him being the serial killer. I think like the basically the company is the driving yeah. force of like the immorality of like the the whole well, system. When it it it's a very interesting theory, and I actually see uh, and kind of agree that Dan, if this was actually true, 
Um, of course, I see the other theories, and it's obvious that it's not. Um, but if this is actually true, it actually give it something like a little bit more depth to it. But in reality, um, when it comes to it, you can't really use a psychological discussion on a creature that probably doesn't actually have those uh, same qualities to it. So at the bare minimum, um, the as Nadine said, the biological need to uh, to kill, feed, and reproduce is there. But outside of that, nothing else in this entire theory really holds up. It, it feels I, th like I think the are... one thing that does hold up is that I don't think the, the alien or the xenomorph is the actual bad guy no not at all but at the same point at the same time you the viewer are human you're not there to relate with the uh the alien you're there exactly. to relate with the crew as they slowly die off one by one right that's the entire point of the horror that's, flick that's why you so what's so if you try and throw a theory in this like that it's just going to human like humanize the alien and dehumanize the uh you know, dehumanize the uh, artificial intelligence, but like, do we really need to do that? There's no need to humanify something that's, you know, humanize something that's not human and dehumanize something that's not human to begin with. So that's it's that's it's very it's dude. very it's very arbitrary and useless. I prefer the other theory more. Jones the cat is an android is kind of funny and be hilarious, but this this just feels like some. Uh, this feels like a master's degree student practicing his doctorate thesis, and this is what he comes up with. Alrighty, so here's theory number three, and I actually really like this theory when you base it off of the Predator movie and the second portion, which is like a theory, but a theory that's kind of backed up by Ridley Scott, the director. So we'll we'll get to that. But this one is actually a Reddit post, and I have most of the Reddit posts in this, so I'm going to read it to you. It says the alien tries each character's femininity. Each character that dies does so in a manner befitting their femininity. So um, it starts off by saying there's always been a lot of feminine imagery and symbolism associated with the alien films, mostly to do with the idea of birth and motherhood. Alien is no exception, the original one, of course, and has lots of references, both big and small, to femininity. The first shots of the crew sleeping peacefully in the womb-like cryopod room, the shuttle leaving the main ship by detaching the umbilicus, the bloody birth of the alien, etc., there's a lot of things to indicate that motherhood and womanhood are major themes. I recently used uh, Musala's excellent Predator fan theory on how every character is killed in relation to their masculinity, and it is only Arnie, so Arnold Schwarzenegger, that survives because he is willing to run, hide, and generally not act like the macho man we expect. He does act macho, but he traps the creature, not, you know, outright gung-ho kills it. I think Alien does the same thing, but in regards to femininity. Uh, this is a little less obvious in the masculinity in Predator because there are so many male characters, but every character in Alien, apart from Ripley, embodies a traditional female role or personality trait, and they get killed by following that. Only Ripley, who wants to fight, kill, and generally act like a macho man, is able to survive. Put another way, Predator is a story about how everyone that goes all out trying to kill the Predator, predator is killed. Only Arnie is able to survive by running away and leading the thing into a trap, whereas Alien is a story where everyone that tries to run away or trap the alien is killed, and only Ripley is able to survive because she's willing to go all out and kill it. I think that there is a lot of proof and a lot of reasonings to justify this. In fact, it could even be the director's intention to create this and make this part of the movie. So it is a very, very realistic fan theory. And I actually think it holds up as well. But I think the biggest problem I have with it is the same thing I kind of do with the first theory. 
with Jones being an android, is that, yeah, that's it makes a lot of sense, but it doesn't exactly affect the story at all. Well, it does, but it doesn't do it outright. It kind of pulls things from the plot line to make, like, a whole elusive or a general thing, but... I I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of proof in that, but at the same time, if she went all macho and tried to kill it with a fucking axe, I think she'd die still, you know? No. It's just that's, the plot would continue, and even if that's different. That's true, but in this movie, the way that they're basically saying it is that everyone else in the movie, there's always, like, that that lead. They, they have this thing in horror, and it's a, it's a horror thing where it's the... I can't remember what the fuck it's called. It's like the final female or like the end female or something. The final person is, yeah, I've seen I've seen plenty of horror movies to so know exactly what you're going to yeah, say. Yeah, but so like in this one in particular, they do use a lot of terms that, I'm sorry if you hear a lot of noise, the puppy's playing. A lot of terms for like, you know, motherhood, you know what I mean? They, the ship is called Mother One. They have the cryopods that really do seem womb-like, you know what I mean? They have... The eggs that are supposed to be like womb-like. They do have sexual imagery when it comes to the alien. The alien is supposed to be the masculine aspect of it. it it's got a penis that comes out of his fucking mouth. They have... Oh, uh, you're talking about the next theory. Shh. Time out. Don't, don't go too far to the next theory. But I'm just saying, it does it does um, show a lot of this. And I can actually... I do actually agree. Because a lot of the characters of separate Ripley show a lot of femininity. The only time she really shows any sort of femininity is closer to the end when she's actually getting closer to like undress and she's taking care of the cat and things like that. But before that, she's not showing femininity. She's not showing that motherly aspect where you need to take care. She's showing self-preservation. I wouldn't call that masculinity necessarily, but at the time it uh, would be considered a masculine trait, right? Where you're going... Ronan is so loud. Know, where you would go. <laughs> oh my God. Where you would go, hey, um, it's, you know, we have to follow protocol. I don't want that thing fucking coming in here. So we're not going to do it. We're going to let them die, basically. Do you know what I mean? Or her idea to just like go full force. That's something that like a male character would do. would be like, oh, it's failed. Oh. I have to go. We have to still have to go back into the air system and do the same thing that the, someone just died trying to do. And I think instead of trying to find another way to do it. like. So here, I guess this boils down to what you think a fan theory is. Because when I think of a fan theory, you're theorizing what happens in the movie and why it happens, right? And no. I can't see why this movie went in the direction that it did simply because of that, that is, at all. That's how I think of a fan theory. Not at theory. all what fan theories are. Fan theories aren't just about what the story is about. It's about it's like a fan theory about like small little snippets of the movie. Sometimes it could be something innocuous. You know what I mean? And it's maybe it's more headcanon than it is actual it, truth. And sometimes it actually is with the storyline of the like, but fan theories are like multiple things. Like it's not just one area. Like if you've ever read a fan theory, they're all over the place. We just we have examples of it right here. We just did. Yeah, oh. like I and I hundred percent agree. Like fan theories can go everywhere. Um, th this in particular, I think is is an awesome like commentary on like. Is this movie purposely like the antithesis? Well, I guess Predator came after this, but like, are they the antithesis of each other on purpose, or is that like, did the directorial or production staff on each movie individually like made these choices specifically? 
for this if reason. If you're saying it like that, I can see exactly why this theory would stick pretty hard, because yeah. as we'll see with the next theory, the uh, director said a lot of things that actually kind of proves this. Anyway, so the last thing is not really a fan theory, but also kind of a fan theory, and it also has... It's like basically explaining the sexual imagery in Alien. I'll just start it. It, it is an article. I have a lot of the article in there. I do not have the whole article, though. We'll make sure to put links in the bio for all the ones that we've done so far. <sighs> My dog is insane. So the title of it, the article is What's the Meaning Behind the Sexual Imagery in Alien? And then it kind of goes like this. Since time immemorial, story tales have intertwined sex and scares to terrify audiences. And the combination works incredibly well. Take Dracula, for example. He's a monster who sneaks into women's bedrooms and insults them, insults them in their sleep. In other words, filmmakers use sex to make their audiences uncomfortable, and the guys who made Alien weren't any different. In 2002 TV documentary, The Alien Saga, Alien screener Dan O'Bannon explained, I'm going to attack the audience, I'm going to attack them sexually. And O'Bannon wasn't the only one who wanted to shock moviegoers. Both O'Bannon and director, director Ridley Scott were fans of a book called Necronomicon, a Lovecraftian grimoire by Swiss artist H.R. Geiger. The book was full of disturbing sexual imagery, and Scott brought Geiger on board to give Alien universe an incredibly eerie feel. With O'Bannon writing the script um, and Geiger designing both the set and the monster, it should come as no surprise that Alien is basically one big metaphor for sex, pregnancy, and rape. The entire movie is filled with phallic and vaginal imagery, from gaping doorways to penis-shaped ships. Um, the xenomorph itself has an incredibly phallic head, and its long, stiff second mouth used to penetrate prey is more or less the world's most dangerous erection. Perhaps the film's most horrifying sexual image is the chestburster. The allegory begins when John Hurt wanders into a cave-like room full of eggs, possibly symbolizing a sperm entering the womb. When the leathery egg hatches, a terrifying facehugger latches onto Hurt's face, forcing itself down his throat, strongly suggesting oral rape and impregnating the man with an incredibly evil embryo. Moments later, Hurt gives birth to the creature, and gives birth is quoted. Liberal yeah. Is in a larva-like so. beast that's ultimately phallic symbol, complete with a slimy wet mouth. So, basically... So, um, I, I just want to say this real quick, Nadine. Um, this is, this is just absolutely true. Um, as you guys have watched, like, a fuck ton of horror movies, and I have not, even with the small amount of horror movies I've watched, right? Like, sex and this type of stuff go very hand in hand. If it's, if it's able to make you uncomfortable, it will be used. That's just how this type of, uh, these types of movies are made. So, when... And trust me, I noticed a lot of sexual imagery myself when I was watching the movie. For example, the face hugger, I'm not sure if you saw the little tongue extension. It literally looks like a dick. So, I mean, they're, they're, it's very blunt and very direct with how they do it. But even if it's not conscious when you see it, I'm sure if you watch this movie like five or six times, you'll notice it a lot more. But subconsciously, those type of things typically would make someone uncomfortable anyways, right? Just by uh, subconscious uh, like understanding. So seeing a lot of this stuff in there happening in these certain ways will make you inherently uncomfortable, which just helps a lot when it comes to a horror movie. So I think it's, it's definitely indirect, but it's there for a reason. So I absolutely agree with this. I don't... Is this I don't think this would be a fan theory. I think it's just proof of how it was made. Well, it, it's a fan theory. It's technically a fan, is it theory, a fan theory, but it's supported by the directors. And I think this one also supports the one that we had said previously. Because both, 
like you've got symbolism of motherhood and then you also got phallic symbols who have all of it basically it's 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 a lot of like reproduction put into a movie and it's a lot of forced like they're forcing people unwilling people to be their hosts for their children they're like you know so that's like rape and then forced to keep the baby after kind of thing so like it is it it's a fan theory that's proven by the director than the movie itself Okay, so it used to, it was was a fan theory, and now it's just yeah. It's and I feel like it back. definitely supports the previous but one too. I'm gonna say overall, like it makes sense why they did what they did when it came to Alien. It, it makes a lot of sense because those particular shapes, those uh particular images and stuff like that, generally makes a person uncomfortable, no matter how okay with it you are it just will inherently make you a little bit uncomfortable seeing this type of stuff so it makes a lot of sense why they did that and also proves a lot of why the reasons why i don't like horror movies to begin with and I, I think it's even funnier that like that interesting fact that condoms and ky jelly were used to like make this oh yeah work. when i saw that like, i they, knew that like they knew what they were going for yeah so that that makes a lot of sense. I don't really think there's too much to discuss on this one, other than it's just fact. Like yeah. it's just really interesting on that one. It's not like something we can argue about. Exactly, and but I think it director, makes it really you know? interesting. I I would say it adds more to the movie. It is it's a horror movie, so there's not a whole lot of like you know extra that you can add to it. But it does give a little bit more depth to the movie. I think if you were to like watch it again and say, okay, I can see where they're going with this. I can uh, feel why this would be uncomfortable for people, and like it definitely has some like insinuation of rape and and rape culture into it. Right before we go, I just want to say this movie had phenomenal sound design. It had phenomenal cinematography. Everything about this movie was very well done, and the fact they did it with that budget is what's going to end up judging for the next segment my rating. Well, the next now, segment's my not personal rating. preference is going to be it's is it or isn't it? Sorry. Well, you know what I mean. One of the next segments, which is my oh rating, my but um, for in a general thing though, this movie is probably top of its class. And it makes sense why there's so many different types of movies that came after this one that tries to, you know, ride off the hype that this movie created because this movie is definitely one of a kind. I would like to point out something that Dan pointed out to me before we get to the next section. It definitely has 70s pacing for a movie. Just, you know, putting it out there. Dan said it. Oh and my I was God, like, that's the one thing I couldn't stand. Yep, 70s pacing. No, I couldn't stand it. Because the movie that we reviewed like previously was the uh, Solaris, which was yes. a Russian seventies movie. So the way they did in this movie, where it was just drawn out slowly with a build up, with a build up, and then bam, it happens, and then it relaxes, and then it slowly builds up, and bam, something something else happens. Like it's very very seventies. You are yeah, it's like there's there's correct. probably only like four or five like key moments in this movie. Yeah, like but, you could compress a, this movie it's like, into it's an over two hour. It's like a two hour movie. Yeah, you could compress this movie into forty minutes and not lose a damn yeah. thing. But at the same time, it wouldn't be the same movie anymore. No, so to nitpick, to nitpick on the pacing would take away from the movie. But at the same time, it's very, very obvious that it's that that pacing is there. All right, all right. Let's go to the next section, guys. And it's very obvious that the beer is there as well. Yeah. So, guys, is it or isn't it? That was a hard one for me and for Dan, I think. So, John, why don't you start us so, off? Yep. 
So when I watched this movie, at the very end of the movie, I actually had a very difficult time of this movie because at its whole, this movie is basically revolutionary, right? And whenever I think of a cult classic, there's usually three definitions that I go by, although sometimes you can pull a little bit something else. One, there is a fan following of it. When you say you're part of an alien fandom, people are like, oh yeah, me too. Like, I love Alien. It's a great movie, you know? Um, another thing is how it did in the box office. A lot of times with these uh, cult classics, um, a movie doesn't do well in the box office, but then it gets rediscovered and it does even better than what it originally did, like, later on. This movie did pretty fucking well in the box office. I'm pretty sure a seven times return is justifiable, right? right? Um, and then the last, the last segment of the movie is that people that watch this movie... Um, usually when it comes to, uh, cult classics, they're doing it ironically. You can watch this movie and straight up enjoy it and not be aware that it's a cult classic. So for me, overall, it's very hard to say. I'm going to say this movie is not a cult classic. I think it's damn well, definitely a classic, but to say it's a cult classic under, you know, the definitions that we go by. No. But it is a very, very well-made movie, and it's definitely a classic, but definitely not a cult classic. I've been flipping back and forth between is this a cult classic and, or is it not. It's it's really hard to say because I, I feel like this is just a classic movie, as you said, John. Just because yeah. it's it's kind of a – that sci-fi horror genre, this is like a tentpole movie. Yeah, this movie started that entire genre, if you really think about it. Of course, there was stuff before, but this movie – nailed it down and is always reputed yeah. as one of the best sci-fi horror movies I yeah like that. now there is a cult following for the alien like series the whole alien mythos and the, the lore but yeah this, this movie in particular i think it's like there's really, there's also really... a cult following for like uh there's also a cult following for learning klingon but it doesn't mean that star trek is a cult uh... classic you know uh, well, that's, that's, that's another thing. Well, yeah, that's a bad example. But my, my thing is like, I think this is like, this is a masterpiece from Lily Scott, who's has made a lot of great films, and I think it's just a great movie and a classic movie. But I don't think it's a cult classic just because like everybody has heard of this movie, even if they haven't seen it. Like, just because it's known it... as like one of the revolutionary, like visually sophisticated movies that still stands the test of time and like i don't think anybody can say it's a bad movie there's no debate whether it's like it, it's not a divisive movie it's it's a great film and i think the problem is is that line gets blurred for people where if it becomes something that's slightly weird to society or maybe it's like maybe it's a horror movie or something like that they can't consider it a classic anymore they consider it a cult classic i bet you there's people out there that'll say Jurassic Park is a cult classic, but it's not, man. It's its own goddamn industry at this point. Same with Star Wars, you know, same with Harry Potter. Like, it's just, I feel like, it, and I'm with you guys on both of it. I just, I don't think it's a cult classic either. I think it's its own entity. Do I think some of the movies that came after it might be in the cult classic genre? Yes, they're not as well known. People don't keep going back to it. But this movie in particular, I would definitely say, because it shot out so many other movies it's well known by everyone a lot of people 
have watched it not just once but multiple times because of how far reaching it is. I it, it, it's I feel like it's getting close if it's not already there to its own entity, you know. Yeah, and that's we talked we actually mentioned this before. I forget which movie it was we were arguing it over, but we like once a movie does so well that it becomes its own entity, it literally loses its cult classic status because a cult by definition is a select few amount of people that have like this right. religious following to it, right? And this movie I don't give a I don't care how much you religiously follow this movie. I don't care if you are like literally attracted to the director. This movie isn't a cult. It isn't a cult classic anymore. It may have been in the very beginning if it didn't do so well, but because it did so unbelievably well and it never really lost focus from the everyone, it's classic. And it's probably more than a classic. Yeah. It's just a great movie. And like I think this does like the one thing I will say is like Star Wars, I think we all agreed was it, like part of pop culture i don't think this is necessarily pop culture but it's it's a classic movie that like like is probably taught in cinemas schools like everywhere. it's got such a deep root in society yeah that it's it's not really a cult classic of it it's the foundation for so many movies afterwards nadine what do you think this movie should be rated Nine. It's a nine. <laughs> I like horror movies, so immediately it's going to go up further. I like sci-fi movies, so obviously it's going to be well-rated. I really like myself some, like, you know, building of the trauma. And there's a lot of built of trauma in there. And I do really enjoy the fact that they use a lot of things that make people uncomfortable on a regular daily basis to their advantage and just kind of make it alien-like so that it's not too obvious and shove it in your face. I love that they did that. I like the actors they picked. I think the actors they picked were great for the parts that they were in. I think the special effects hold up to today's standards in their own right. You know, I think the movie itself, the concept, the story holds up. I think the character development, the sound effects, all of it was well done. I don't think it's a perfect 10 because there's some things that could have been done a little bit better. That maybe like there were some plot holes. Why the fuck was there a cat on the ship? Other than that, it was beautifully done. And even the pacing. Honestly, like it had the seventies pacing, yep. but it worked for this movie. It yep. worked well. Dan, what is uh what is your rating for this movie? Uh so this is this is actually like hard for me because like honestly I think this is like an amazing movie that's probably just as it is as a movie, like a ten. How I liked it, probably a seven, so I'm gonna give it an eight. It's a great movie. But like because I've already dealt like I, I don't even think this was the first alien like movie i saw in like the whole me either this is like the I fourth like one five or six other movies that they have so like this is this is another case where i think i like the sequels better so that's why i'm putting it at an eight and also just like it's it's hard for me to like stay focused on this movie just because it is that 70s pacing i it's just not for me but um, I, I appreciate it and that's why it's it's really it's probably one of the best movies ever made but for me personally, it, it's an okay. Eight. Wow, that is a stretch. I don't think this is the best. It's movie not the ever best made, movie but, ever made, but um, best sci-fi movies ever made. I understand where like Dan's coming from with that, but like I would just like to say because I started with one of the sequels as well, and I think the reason why you and I and maybe not John would like the sequels necessarily, I think specifically for that, 
the reason why is because they're campy. You and I like campy movies. We had already known of yeah. the series beforehand. We'd already gotten the basic plot line. So we were able to walk into one of these movies as like one of the sequels and have the campiness, have all the stuff they were expecting to have and fall in love with it and like those more than the original. Whereas if this is something that we hadn't known the series ahead of time or her any of it before, the sequels probably would have been harder for us to get into with the campiness. We probably would have had to watch the first one to appreciate it. It's a great point because like this movie, it's it's much more serious and like grounded than the, the sequels. Mm -hmm. I think so too. <laughs> like the sequels, they're, they're, they're 80s and 90s movies. Like shit in the 80s and 90s is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. A critic would look at something made in the 80s or 90s and say like, this is like horse manure, like why... It has no artistic value. That campiness is something that, like, I am drawn to and, like, I find engaging. Yeah. Well, I think both of us like like campy movies. And I think it does help with the sequels with these movies, though, that because the lore was already there, the genre was already there. It was such a famous movie, the this one right here, mm -hmm. the original Alien, that, like, we had already kind of gotten the basic plot line and the storyline that we could go into the sequels and, like, fall in love with those and like those more than the original but if you're just looking at the original for what the original is i would totally say it's probably a better quality movie than the other ones i think the reason why we love it so much though is because it hits all the points that we love so much about like can't be horror movies this one's not as campy so i'm going to cut you guys a bit short i'm going to just go ahead and give my okay. rating um i agree with dan i think that this movie, quality-wise, is absolutely a 10. But personal judgment, I don't like these types of movies. I just don't. Like, like yes, it's a nail, it's it's a bit of a nail biter, and it's it's pretty damn good movie of its genre. In fact, it's the peak of the of the sci-fi horror genre, but I don't like horror movies. And so for you, Nadine, whenever it's a horror movie, you instantly give it more. For me, when it's a horror movie, I instantly give it less. If I had to rate just on the actual sci-fi aspect, oh my god, dude, I'd be looking the TV screen. But this is, for me, it's like a six. The biggest problem with this movie for me is just how the movie goes. Like, I don't like horror flicks. I just don't. I think they're the worst type of movie, and I know you guys hate me, hate me saying that. But I think horror flicks are probably one of the worst types of movies because it is very difficult to create a good horror flick, and when you do, it falls under that same category of a bad movie because for me it's just not as enjoyable if it was something different Alrighty, so let's go ahead and go over to would we recommend this movie what do you guys think yeah i i would recommend it if i knew someone uh if i knew someone liked horror movies i would just outright say oh if you watched alien like that would be to like a literal per like just a friend of mine i would outright ask it so yes definitely Dan. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think this, this is a cinematic experience. It, you should just sit down and watch this, probably with the lights off, just to kind of like get the a full bit effect. A of beer and popcorn. And just yep. focus on this movie. Yeah. Like, no, this, this is like, this is a movie you need to experience, I, I yes. would say. Agreed. I would definitely recommend this movie to, I mean, if you can't tell from my rating, highest one out of all of us. But I also just think the storyline for it's great. I think that pacing actually even though 70s pacing is not that bad for this movie it actually works well for it because it builds well and i think the story and the way they put it together it just it's an experience that you just at least have to have once even if you hate it 
Agreed. Um, and final notes uh, before we close it out, guys. Um, I just None. I just want to mention um, that this movie is revolutionary when it came out. And to this day, it still holds up. And that is something amazing for a 50-year-old movie. So before we get forward to that, I would just like to put this out here so you don't piss off any of our older viewers. It's, it's closer to 40 years. I'm not trying to age all. John's really sucks. Just say. Math. It's all right. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to close out the podcast. So if you guys have any movie recommendations or want to talk about movies with us, you can find us on Facebook through our private group, Snazzy Podcast. That's S-N-A-S-Y Podcast. Or you can find us on Instagram at Snazzy Podcast. Or you can email us at she's on a slight at gmail.com. If you guys like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps get us out there and have more people find us. Just a heads up, we're reviewing Dan's pick, Dogma, released in 1999 next. So make sure to tune in again. This episode, Dogma, was supposed to be released this past week. We didn't get to it. As we said before, John got strep throat. Dan and I bought a house. And then when we were trying to record this particular episode, Dan got sick and lost his voice, so we couldn't record. We're trying the best we can to get all the episodes that are supposed to come out this month come out before the month ends. So they're probably not going to come out. On the regular dates that they normally do, which is like on Thursdays, three times a month. Just expect them to kind of drop whenever this month. And then next month, we'll, we should be back on schedule as long as none of the rest of us get sick and lose our voice. Outside that, have a nice day, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>